You're listening to Beyond the Ribbon, a podcast of the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center. This podcast is brought to you by Kia of Amarillo, proud member of the Auto Inc. family of dealerships. Be sure to check out their website at kiaofamarillo.com. Everyone, welcome to this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey, Ryan, how are you today? Pam, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. You know, today's going to be a great day because I think you and I are going to learn. And when we record podcasts, um, it always amazes me how much we learn, but it always excites me because we can educate our listeners. And one of the things that has been on our list of to-dos is clinical trials. Um, yeah. you know, we have searched high and low to find uh, the perfect person and the group of people to come on uh, to teach us about clinical trials and, you know, the benefits and why are they so important. And so I'm really excited about learning today. And um, I hope our listeners are too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, uh, way back in the day, if you will, I remember um, Dr. Paul Hancock saying, when he was in medical school, one of his um, professors used to always say, it's a great day for learning. And uh, that always stuck with me. And I think you're exactly right. Today is going to be a great day for learning, uh, both myself and you, uh, but for our listeners. And it is crazy, as we were talking just a second ago, you know, we searched high and low for uh, this, this topic here. And uh, we really messed up because we should have gone a little short drive from here in Amarillo down to uh, the DFW area to uh, UT Southwestern Medical School and uh, the medical center there, uh, the Simmons Comprehensive Cancer Center, because we're joined today by two folks, um, as again, that are fellow Texans and uh, super excited to have um, Fabian Robles. Uh, Fabian is the clinical trial navigator and manager there at UT Southwestern Medical Center at the Simmons Comprehensive Cancer Center. But we're also joined, Pam, uh, by Tomi Fatunde, and she is the clinical research coordinator for phase for the phase one team. So we have two fantastic guests today. Tomi and Fabian, how are you guys? Doing great. Actually, pretty happy to be here with you. With Thank you so much, Brian and Pam, for reaching out. And actually, we were pretty happy because the weather gets much better. We were melting and then actually rained finally. So yes. we were happy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having us today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you know, um, us too. We're, we've uh, been without some rain for a while and it's finally, finally coming down. So that's super nice. You know, um, you guys, uh, I, again, we're so thankful to, to have you on today. Um, I know, Pam, you get questions often about clinical. My, my doctor said I should look for a clinical trial or I should think about a clinical trial or what does that mean or how, where do we go from here? So um, you guys that are listening, buckle in, uh, maybe get out your notepad. Uh, you're going to have some notes to, to take down and, and and learn. Today is a good day for learning. So you guys, let's just start at the beginning, like we always try to do, and say, what exactly is a clinical trial? And why is, is it so important that we have clinical trials? So clinical trial is the way scientifics in the scientific community, we start uh, answering questions about treatments, procedures, because we don't have still right now the perfect bullet to defeat the cancer. In each patient is a world, it's a universe. So we had to find best way based treatment to cure patients. Thankfully, technology has been advancing lately so we're doing a lot of improvements. So we have better numbers of patients that are uh, without cancer, but we still have a lot to go through. So the way actually we know a treatment works is through a clinical trial. And, uh, you know, clinical trials also span uh a wide uh, spectrum. So some trials are focused on um, developing treatments where there's not, you know, 
where there's not a lot of response already. Some trials are looking to improve what there is already. So maybe can we have a treatment that's more precise or with fewer side effects? So even if we kind of have good survivorship numbers, but we want, you know, quality of life to improve, um, we have trials on medications. We also have trials um, looking at how to make procedures better or more relevant um, and trials for devices. So one example of a procedure trial um, is a trial. There there have been surgical trials saying, you know, can we achieve the same goal with less surgery or is it better to do radiation first, you know, or after, or can we use a, a smaller dose? Can we treat for less time? So sometimes it's about um, fine tuning what works and everything is about improving the patient experience, improving outcomes. Um, and so sometimes, you know, it's, it ranges from how much, how new, you know, the, the trial, uh, the innovation that's being, uh, explored in the trial is, um, but all of this is important is because without data, we can't save for sure. And we want to be giving our patients the best that we can um, with what we know today. And what we know today, you know, five years from now, we might know a lot more and clinical trials help us get there. They help us give that information in a standardized way that we can apply. Pam, I, I love the way Tommy explained that because um, I personally don't know why, but I didn't even think about surgical clinical trials. Uh, you know, you typically, I know in our world, we always think about, you know, a combination chemo trial or, you know, whatever else is going on. And I, I can think back to my pre-oncology uh, days. And anytime I heard the word clinical trial, I always thought like it was like the little Petri dish and the little pipette drop and they're, you know, the things you see on TV and so forth. Um, but of course, being enmeshed into the oncology world, I know that it's so much more than just new designed medicines, but I never even thought about a surgical clinical trial. That's, that's, uh, that's another one, another one to think about. You know, oftentimes um, patients say, well, I don't want to be a guinea pig. Um, with clinical trials, they're not necessarily the guinea pig first phase, I guess, but there's also different phases. How safe is a clinical trial? So Pam, that's a good question. Clinical trials are very, very safe. And the reason I say that with confidence is because you have a big team that is always wondering about side effects, about your well-being. So you only not you don't only have your physician that is going to be your treating in the entire process of the clinical trial, but there's a secondary physician or what we call the primary investigator also seeing your case. You have a coordinator like Tommy that will always be contacting you with questions and see how you're evolving during the trial. Again, the clinical trial, the tendency is for improvement. If we see the patient not getting better or we see the side effect is worse than actually the disease, we encourage the patient to decline or to withdraw from the clinical research. So it is always for the benefit. And not, uh, we also mentioned about we have at our pharmaceutical is completely involved in clinical trials. We have the navigators like myself that actually we try to breach and take any barriers that you might have when you're in, involved in clinical trials. So I'm confident. Uh, I'm also a participant for clinical research. So I'm not saying to you, hey, being a part of the clinical research, and I'm not, I actually am a control, I'm in the control group. I get drawn my blood every three, six months to see how the immunotherapy uh, uh, works in between patients with lung cancer and, and control group. Uh, and um, yeah, I think uh, what uh, Fabian said is, um, important that safety is really the primary like if it's not safe we can't we're not going to get the benefit if we can't do it safely so first we have to establish safety and the way that clinical trials um sort of track safety is very i mean i, I tell my patients you know from the beginning 
you know, I'm going to be really annoying. I'm going to ask you, okay, wait, when exactly did that, did you notice that cut? And when it, you know, we want you to tell us everything, no matter, I mean, not everything that happens to you is going to be related to the, you know, to, to something about your trial. So it might just be like, you know, oh, I just, I was chopping tomatoes, you know, or whatever. Um, but we want to know everything and then we can sort of figure out what is likely, you know, related to the trial, what might've just been in the course of, you know, your regular life or might be due to your disease or whatever. But the, the primary thing is safety. And so there's lots of different steps that happen even before a trial starts to um, try to ensure that. Um, now for most trials, there've already been people in it. Um, there are very few trials where people are sort of the first, but there, you know, there are some trials that are the first in human. And with those, I mean, the monitoring, you're going to see your doctor more than you would if you were just on regular treatment. You're going to see so many other people. The pharmacist is going to take two hours to look over your, maybe not, I don't want to name a number, but, you know, there's a lot of attention to, you know, where you're starting at baseline, what they anticipate might interact. They pull a lot of information from trials that have happened before. And then it's that monitoring, um, because even if you were in regular treatment, um, we don't know how your specific body, you know, is going to like, we have an idea, but we're going to watch very closely. So that's even if you were just in regular routine treatment. Now, when you're on a trial, there is a lot of close monitoring and a lot of, you know, please let me take your vitals every 15 minutes, not for every trial, but there are trials like that. And, you know, even though that is, uh, you know, not as convenient as some other things. We do it for that reason, for safety. Um, and, you know, I think trials have also changed over the years. Um, so yes, I can understand why somebody would be hesitant um, and different people have different motivations, you know, for participating in trials. But the way that oncology trials work is for the most part, it's kind of nested in the rest of your care, um, at least the way trials work here. So. Sometimes if you're coming from a different facility and you're coming here, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a change. You're seeing a different provider. But for the patients that are already patients with us, often you're seeing the same doctor that you already see. Um, and that doctor's in communication with the rest of the trial team. Um, so even when that's not the case, I mean, we try to have a handoff so that it feels like a continuation. It feels similar. You still get lab draws. You still get imaging or bone marrows or however your disease is me measured, you still have those procedures. Um, and sometimes, you know, I mean, cancer is new to the person who's in the trial. So, but we try to stress that it is a clinical trial. It is, the, we want it to be an option for you as part of clinical care. So it's not something that's, you know, totally separate from that. And, you know, being in a first in human is not for everyone, you know, so you might be in a different kind of trial, but if for the people who choose to be in those, um, it's also really important to know that this is voluntary. And we're so grateful for the people who, you know, look at it and, you know, say, okay, this is something that I can do. This is something that might benefit me. Um, we have, we might get to this later, but we have, in addition to the clinicians and the pharmacists and the regulatory people, um, we have just lots of different layers. So before we even do a trial, we have something called an institutional review board. And they are people who they, you know, they're separate from the people who came up with the design. They're not sort of invested in that specific trial. Their job is to see, could the potential benefits outweigh the potential risks? And, you know, that is, we come with what we know so far about, you know, potential side effects, um, and they look at that and sometimes they say, okay, you know, this trial shouldn't go forward. Um, but the ones that they approve to go forward, um, it's after that consideration. So there's a lot of effort to um, really look at those safeguards and to say, we are, this is sort of like we're prepared. Um, we've prepared everything that we possibly can. And then we're going to watch very closely for the things that we might not um, know or that we can't control. Let me, let me add something else like Pan was mentioning about the guinea pig. It's, so I, I understand, and that's come with history and the Tuskegee uh, research that happened a long time ago, 1960s, 1970s. That change we have, like uh, Tommy was mentioning, 
a lot of uh, layers, the IRB, the human protection program, laws are in place for that to not to happen again. Yeah. And again, if you want the top of line, the new medication, the new technology that comes to the market, and I always say to my patient, I always compare, do you want the iPhone 14? I don't, I'm not sure if it's still 14, 15, 16, so like I lost the count. Yeah. But if you want the new te te telephone, you come to a clinical trial. It's the new technology is the best that come to the market yet. Yeah. And there is a place there that you can get improved. And that's our goal. That's our mission in research is that you get better with this treatment, okay? With less side effects, with the same outcome. Pam, I think that uh, hopefully everybody listening understands we have just demolished the myth that clinical trials may not be safe. I mean, there's so many layers. One of the things Tommy said that I really, I caught and I was like, Ooh, that's, I want to come back to that is people who are smart and involved in clinical trials, but not involved in that specific clinical trial help make the determination if it's safe to continue and keep going the IRB. And uh, that I think, you know, cause I can, I can just see some of our, hear some of our listeners going, yeah, but if the trial doesn't go on, you know, it's not successful and they don't, they are so got money invested in this clinical trial. And that right there tells you it's not about that. But I do have one other question. I think I know the answer to this. In a clinical trial, is there a risk that someone would get a placebo? Yes. Um, go, not yet, Tommy. Uh, so it depends on the trial. So cancer trials, uh, it's much less common that you would have a placebo than in some other trials. Um, but in cancer trials, for the most part, if there is a placebo, um, then usually it's a trial where maybe it's a combination drug trial. So there might be um, standard of care drugs or whatever you would normally be offered in your doctor's office that's covered by your insurance in combination. The trial is seeing, you know, whether adding this additional drug, that's the study drug, to the standard of care would improve outcomes. So the placebo arm in a trial like that is usually going to be standard of care plus placebo. So you're all, you're definitely, you're already getting what is standard of care. And then the question is whether you're getting the study drug added on or placebo added on. Um, but there is, you know, you are informed, there, there's not going to be that's not going to be a surprise. So before you agree to participate in a trial, we go through something called an informed consent process. And if it's a trial with sort of multiple different types of drugs, you could, I'll, I'll focus on drug trials because that's what we mostly do. Um, but the same process happens, whether it's a surgical trial or a radiation trial. or um, So as part of that process, they will say, you know, this trial has a placebo. This is how people are assigned to groups or what might determine whether you get in groups. So sometimes it's assignment um, and sometimes it's not. But I would say for the vast majority of our trials don't involve placebo and those that do are usually going to involve at least the basic uh, therapy that you would already be getting if you just went to your doctor outside of a trial. And, and look at this way, Ryan. If I offer you a trial with a placebo, you will get the benefit of having somebody like Tommy next to your team, right? Because you're going to have the standard of care. You're going to get treated no matter what. And I might add something else that you don't know if they have the active ingredient or not, but you have the benefit of having a coordinator next to you, the primary investigator next to you, a navigator next to you, right? So right. You, you gain even though you're taking the placebo. That's a very good point. You mentioned about drug trials, surgery trials, radiation trials. Is there any other type of trials that you guys focus on? Because so oftentimes I hear, you know, oh, we should have lifestyle changes because it's going to um, increase our life expectancy. Um, is there clinical trials for that too? Yeah, so we do have what we call observational studies that involve surveys. Uh, then we ask the questions to patients and family members, depending during the trial, 
their outcomes or what else is uh because when you're in the in treatment in cancer it doesn't affect you as a patient itself but also impacts your family member um not to go in depth for one clinical trial that we have in lung they're trying to compare hispanic community uh, versus white uh, because there is uh they're seeing a tendency that patients with lung cancer with Hispanic community are doing much better than the white population. And they think the hypothesis is actually the relationship with family. Um, you know, the Hispanic community are tending to have like five, 10 families. So they're involved in those um, care. Uh, so there's a study about that and that we have open here at UT, Southwestern. Wow. You know, oftentimes we think clinical trials and we automatically go to, oh, new kind of drugs, but it's not just that, which I'm glad y'all explained that. Yeah. You know, one of the other things, Pam, and I, I, I think we've kind of covered this, but I just want to uh, reiterate and bring it up because I know a lot of people tend to think kind of maybe old school, like, well, they've done everything they can do. We now's your time to try a clinical trial. And while that may be the case, that's not always the case, right? That's right. Um, so sometimes there are some trials that are actually uh, enroll people who are newly diagnosed or they've just tried one or two therapies. It depends on what the goal of the trial is and what the uh, the nature of the of the therapy is. So sometimes it's important that you try it before you have others. And, you know, your doctor is going to talk to you about what your options are. So sometimes your doctor says, you know, try this. If it doesn't work, we have these three other um, therapies that um, we usually use. We can always fall back on it. So sometimes, you know, trying it first might be the way to go. Um, sometimes, you know, it's better that you try other things first. And certainly, like I said, trials have evolved over the last few decades. So sure, uh, at some point, it, it was often sort of the thing that you tried after other things. And some trials don't allow you to enroll in a trial until you've tried, you know, three prior therapies or something. So it just, it varies, um, but I, it's not it's not as much of a end of the line thing as it may have been in the past. It just depends on the trial, but all of, you know, all of these options like I said, it's it's part of a, a more holistic context. So hopefully your physician is discussing it in context with you. You know, there's this trial that it might do this. There's this other therapy. It might do this. Here are potential benefits. Here's why we think this sequence, you know, is the way to go. Yeah, let me tell, tell you a story, Ryan and, and Pam. One of the things I always tell, tell my patients when I actually I go to a safety net hospital and I approach them with the clinical trial and they say, well, but should should they come with this question? Is this like, there's nothing else really? Like I had to go to the clinical trial. And actually the answer is no, actually this is an option. You have an option in hand. You can decide you're the one, you're the captain of the boat. You tell me where to go. That way you have the option. So and here's the thing. Sometimes clinical trials, the eligibility to see if you're a candidate, if you can be able to be in the clinical trial, sometimes because of safety, they're so stringent. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the patient's too sick, then we cannot offer the clinical trial. Right? Yeah. So it's better to run and try the new technology, the new iPhone, and see if that works for you, change your life instead of being too late and then we cannot we don't have anything else and then we had to try something like first and human right they're, they're very open with eligibility and then it could kind of too late yeah so is there like a checklist like in order to get into a clinical trial uh yes every trial has a specific list of criteria um for you know both for being included in the trial or things that might keep you out of the trial. Uh, so some of those things, usually they're working on either a particular cancer or a group of cancers or a particular mutation. So first you have to have that condition um, or have that mutation. 
Um, but a lot of the criteria are about safety. So sometimes it's just, you know, your kidneys need to be this healthy, your lungs need to be this healthy, your heart needs to be this healthy, you know, and some of that, you know, sometimes it's stuff that can fluctuate and then sometimes it's not. So sometimes it might be if you've had a heart attack in the last, you know, certain period of time, you know, unfortunately we can't do the trial at this time, you know, maybe it's something we can try in the future. Sometimes if you have a particular condition or if there's particular medications you need to take that can't be changed, um, then unfortunately, you know, the trial might be pose more of a risk than otherwise. So again, that's also a safety measure is saying that, you know, you need to meet these criteria. We want you to be at least this healthy, like Fabian was saying, so that, you know, you can, um, you can receive this without being sort of, we don't want it to do more harm than good, obviously. So the part that we can, one aspect that we can control is what are we starting with? Um, and then sometimes, you know, again, everything is just a balance and the goal is, you know, we want it to be safe for you to do this. So if, if we're saying it can be hard to hear a no, especially when somebody wants to do the trial and it's hard to tell people, I'm so sorry, you know, we can't, but you know, it's, it's for a good reason. We want the best for them also. And sometimes, you know, the trial isn't, but there is a checklist for every trial and it's different for every trial. So is there an added cost of being on a clinical trial or how does that get paid for? Yeah. So clinical trial. New iPhone, baby, and that new iPhone is <laughs> incredibly expensive. So here's the thing. This new iPhone, it will the iPhone part that was in the study will be paid by the sponsor or whoever is creating the study, the pharmaceutical company. The everything else, because when they design the clinical trial, they will try to do it as close as the standard of care. So your your physician visit, your nurse visit, your infusion. Uh, that will be covered by your insurance or or the patient's uh, self-pay, depending on, on their resource. But everything else that is considered clinical trial, it is paid by the clinical trial. Yeah. Okay. So, if, for example, standard of care, I need to do a CT scan every three months, and that is standard of care. Insurance will pay for it. But if the clinical trial asks to do an extra imaging before the three months, the clinical trial will pay for that expense. That's good to know. That's really good to know. Well, we we touched on this a second ago, and you, we've touched on the the first in human trials and kind of how it starts, you know, in this trial and moves on. Um, can we talk about the different levels or the different phases of a clinical trial? And what that means, because I know you always hear, oh, I'm in a I've heard someone say, oh, I'm in a phase two clinical trial. And you kind of go, oh, oh, OK, yeah, yeah. I mean, but what exactly are the different phases and what does that mean? Sure. Um, so phase one is uh, going to be sort of the first um, the first human trials. And um, usually those those are small they're uh, they're smaller than they're def they're smaller than the, the later phase trials and the goal of a phase 1 trial is to assess safety so that is the primary before we can even think about whether this works better than other options first we need to see is it safe to get this um so those trials can range from you know like 20 people to 100, depending on what the what the intervention is, um, whether it's um, surgical or, um, you know, a medicine, whatever the intervention is, they will, the statisticians help us decide what is um, the minimum number of people we need to answer this question, um, or, you know, maybe what's optimal, what's minimal, you know, so they, they kind of get a number, a target number of people that they need because they don't want to do too few people where they can't really draw conclusions um, because we want to really, you know, honor the people who participate and not have anything go to waste. Um, so once that number is identified, then often the way that phase one medication trials work 
is that we enroll people in cohorts. So let's say we plan to enroll 30 people. We might do three at a time. And again, because our focus is on safety, often we're going to start um, at a low dose. So um, we want to start at a low dose so that if there are side effects, you know, we can start to identify those. And um, so maybe those three people will be on for, um, say, a month. We wait a month after the last person enrolls to really give time for side effects that might come up. And then if that dose uh, is fine from a safety perspective, then we can go to the next level. And before a trial starts, they've kind of set out, here are the levels that we think make sense. Here's the level of the drug that we think is needed to be therapeutic. Here's how we can get to it. Um, that's called a dose ex escalation study. And then sometimes in phase one, there's also, once they've identified, okay, here's the kind of the sweet spot um, in terms of this dose is high enough to potentially have an impact, but not so high. We don't want to go, they also don't want to just keep going higher and higher and higher just because. So if you've kind of reached a point where you think it'll be effective and also safety is still, you know, people aren't having the kind of side effects that would prevent them from taking it long enough, um, then that's when you might expand uh, the group. Uh, so that's a phase one trial. Phase one trial, safety, safety, safety. That's what a phase one trial's focus is. Uh, it's nice if we, if we notice other things along the way while we're doing safety, but that's the explicit goal. And then phase two, we brought in. So now we might do, you know, maybe 300 people instead of 30. Um, and again, this is to further assess, uh, this is start, starting to look at the effectiveness. So we might say, um, this is the effects that we want it to have are we seeing that? Are we seeing the outcomes? And the outcomes might be that the tumor shrinks by this much, or it might be that people um, stay on, you know, beyond a certain amount of time, or it might be survivorship. You know, there's different outcomes that can be set out. So phase two is a little bit bigger and saying, can it work? Then phase three is saying, does it work better than what we already have? So if you if you get through phase two and we know well it can have an effect, then phase three is really comparing. And that's when you're in the thousands of of participants enrolled. Um, and you know at every phase we continue safety continues at every phase. So you just build on what you were doing in the previous one. It's not like oh it's safe now we don't have to worry about that. You know we we keep looking at uh, at side effects um, and side effects are one of the ways that we compare whether it works better than you know what we already have. So. Um, I guess that's sort of a, a little bit. And then there's something kind of called phase four, which is after it's approved. So phase three is, is uh, prior to FDA approval. And then once it, it's approved by the FDA, um, then they continue to do sort of after uh, market studies to see uh, how it works when it's out there and millions of people are doing this. And that is a little bit, you know, involves reporting from clinicians. Um, that's that's a, a bit... Sorry, huh. it plays the that, pause. That's where you see in the commercial and your TV every time, like, yeah, such and such, ask your doctor about okay. this medicine. And yes, those are in phase four trials. I do have two questions that maybe our listeners might have. Um, does the state, the phase of the trial correlate any way with the stage of the cancer? There's no automatic correlation. Um, it's possible that, I would just say there, there's not usually. So, I mean, one phase might be looking for people at a particular stage, but there's no, there's no automatic. Yeah, those just, they sounded like, they sound like they line up, but they don't. Yeah. No, yeah, phase one doesn't mean you're stage one. Right. So the other question I have is, do you have to start with phase one and go through phase four? Uh, no, each uh, each trial is different. So if you're in a trial in a particular phase, it doesn't mean that you will go on to the next one. Um, each trial is its own thing. So you could be in one trial and that's it and you're done. And you can be in a phase three trial the first time you got in a trial and that's fine. Um, phase one trials, because we're looking at safety, they're usually more burdensome from a logistical perspective. So I might say, hey, would you like to spend the day with me and I can take your blood every 30 minutes? You know, like, so that might be an assessment. But again, 
they have so much more monitoring because they're they're trying to answer those safety questions. How long is the drug in your body? How you know? So phase two and phase three usually involve less intense assessments. I'm going to say usually because each study is different, um, but you don't sort of, because you were in the phase one study, then progress. And, and often there's, you know, there's years, these, these things take years. So um, before, if a study moves out of phase one to phase two, you know, it might still, it's just going to take longer than maybe a, an individual. You don't need to be committed for 10 years, right? Yeah, that was, that was what I was thinking in my head. I was like, but sometimes these things take forever and yeah, they may not, and, and right, they may not make it out of phase two. Right, right. Uh, I right. mean, so uh, it is. It is a learning experience. Um, I like how you said this, and I wrote it down. So I want to make sure I wrote it down correctly. So phase one is basically determining is it safe, assessing safety, and phase two is will it work, and phase three is will it work better than what we currently have, and then phase four is. Uh, just long-term monitoring. Is that, that's a yeah. good synopsis, Tony? Yes, yeah. Pre pretty good, actually. I'm going to use it. I'm going to steal it from you. <laughs> well, I, I I was trying to, you know, narrow it down into little bite-sized pieces um, because I think that uh, um, it, it is, it's challenging. There's so much involved, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there is because, um, gosh, I would sure hate if there's not, because there would be a lot of detriment that goes on. And that's not, that's, that is not advancing science at all. Is there anything, Pam, uh, that we've not touched on for phase one through four that you can think of? I don't think I, I think we've covered it pretty well. You know, I, I want to ask one quick question um, because we've talked about it before we, we, we go into what's new in, in the world, but um you know, we, we talked about it, how the cost is covered by um, uh, the, the, um, the company putting it on. Um, what about like, say someone who lives in Amarillo and uh, gosh, the, the, you, I'm hearing UT Southwestern has this fantastic trial uh, that's not available here. What about getting to UT Southwestern and being on that trial? How does that work for out-of-towners, if you will? Great question. So we understand that. Here at Siemens uh, Comprehensive Cancer Center, we knew that we want to reach people from outside the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we're fortunately that we, with uh, the Cancer Prevention and Research Institute of Texas, we got a grant that allow us uh, reach to community outside of DFW. Uh, if you are from the Panhandle, Amarillo, McAllen and you would want to be seen here because we have a clinical trial at UT Southwestern, then we have what we call a reimbursement, financial reimbursement program. And what is nice about that is that we can able to reimburse you anything that is related to um, expense about traveling, logistics, so you had to spay the Nyan's Hotel, meals, parking, uh, even Wi-Fi, because we want you to be connected with our team. So, for example, we use Epic, and they in Epic have the uh, system or uh, an app called MyChart. So, we want you to be connected with your team, your care team. So, we reimburse for that too. Right. Unfortunately, that is something that is going nationwide, but not all cancer center centers have have it. But we understand we at UT Southwestern we know about that, so that's why we offer if you're in the clinical trial. That's great. That's great. I mean, we know about the the challenges of getting folks to come for a two hour. You know, we service about a two hour radius here in Amarillo, and for them to drive two hours, you know, for just like for radiation treatment, you know, and then then come back the next day, and and so we understand from our foundation standpoint uh, for patient assistance and the importance of that, but to hear that, to still being, uh, living outside of your area and still being able to, you know, uh, remove the barrier of getting there and, 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 uh, expenses is huge. It's huge. Right. Uh, so understand also one of the missions of Siemens Cancer Center is that 
be able to bring clinical trials also to the community. So that's the best goal. But how can we do that safely, right? So for example, currently we're very good in our catchment area that is Dallas and 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 with our um, institute, our safety net hospital is Parkland and Children's Medical Center. But we wanted to reach a, li a little bit further. So we're working with uh, uh, JPS and forward in Tarrant County to be able to bring those trials over there. So eventually we wanted to do that is say if we can join forces with cancer centers in Amarillo, McAllen, yeah. uh, you know, different areas that that way the clinical trial goes to the patient. But again, how safely we can do it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you, we have a clinical trial in this institution that we can offer to you, then we have the reimbursement program. Yeah. Is there any barriers to clinical trials? Many, many barriers. And that's one of our focus as the navigators to assess those barriers. In Texas, one of the major barrier, it was education and this hesitancy and the mistrust and distrust of, 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 about the healthcare system itself. It happens also with the vaccination, uh, it, with covid uh, we got a, a big block there that we had to gain back again that trust from the community. The second one is language. Um, the populations around that we see here, 52% of people that we can see in Dallas, they're Hispanic, they're Spanish speaking and in our safety net hospital. So when they were given the consent, informed consent and information, they're all in English. So they were not able to understand what you were, what we were offering. So the navigation program expand. So myself and my, and my older navigator were Spanish speaking fluently, and we're national certified as interpreter healthcare interpreters. So we breached that gap uh, of language and trust, and then we were able to increase the enrollment in patients. There's many others like location. Uh, the stringent of the eligibility of the clinical trial. Uh, so there is adding to, to be difficult to be part of the clinical trial. But we understand that. We, we acknowledge of all these barriers. And there's many studies nationwide where we're trying to fix this. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, some of those barriers are similar to some of the barriers to healthcare in general that people face. Um, you know, so we do what we can and there's lots of patient advocacy groups and there's lots of groups working on that. But, you know, there's, you know, as maybe so sometimes just even having insurance is a is a barrier to healthcare. Um, and sometimes a lot of cancer clinical trials, it's funded both by insurance and the research study. Um, so sometimes we can get funding for that, um, for the part that needs to be paid by insurance, um, you know, but not always. And, you know, like Fabian mentioned, so we can get things translated, but sometimes it's a question of, is the form translated right away? And thankfully we have, um, you know, great interpreter staff, um, but it always helps when you have, you know, the people who are closer to the trial, who are there in the room with you, you know, so the navigators have been a great addition for that reason. So even though there are these resources, sometimes it's having those resources at different points in the journey, not sort of at a specific, time, you know, so the more that we can provide, so some of it is about building on what's already there. Um, and then as we've talked about, money can be a barrier. Sometimes it's just like, I need to get childcare <laughs> so I can go get my treatment. And so some, you know, the, the programs that Fabian mentioned, you know, help with that, some of those out of pocket costs. And, you know, there's, there's the, the same barriers, I would say that people face in general with healthcare. And then sometimes there's sort of the extra ones of, the trial. But again, if it's a trial that is safe for you to to be in, um, that can work for your um or that, that that might be able to be helpful for your disease and that there's a spot in, you know, we want to do what we can on the logistical front to help you get there. Get you in for sure. Get you in. Well you guys um we've talked a lot about what clinical trials are. We've talked a lot about the types and the phases and so forth and how you get in and things like that. 
I'm interested if you can touch on anything new, you know, uh, and, and you don't have to get deep in the weeds of all the specifics, but anything new and exciting. I mean, we hear about, you know, clinical trials going on and uh, what, so what is new uh, that maybe is available there at UT Southwestern? So we do have several, uh, the the trial or the research is moving from chemotherapy to immunotherapy. Right. So what immunotherapy means is that we help your immune system to to fight the cancer because you have the tools. You, your, your body have the police or the army to defeat the cancer. So we, with this treatment, we're targeting or showing your immune system how to attack and how to destroy it. There is also what we call the um, monoclonal antibody is where they flag. It's the same if I explain the patient is the same way when they did with COVID. It's like a little antibody and then it links to the cell. So it shows and turns on the alarms and the, so your immune system goes and attack it. You will hear about the CAR, CAR T therapy. Yeah, this very, that's the new iPhone 14, 15. Mm -hmm. uh, while we train your immune system, we take your cells uh, and we put them like guns and grenades and we put them back in. And then they go and fight the cancer and then they destroy the cancer. Uh, lately, we have uh, in radiation oncology, we do have a, a, a machine called the Gamma Pod. Uh, it's only, there's only two in the nation right now. And it is targeting uh, the, its radiation for 360 points to one point uh, for breast studies, for, for breast cancer. So it's kind of doing like a surgical instead of doing an, an open surgery, they're trying to study if they can remove it with just radiation. And uh, there's much more the world's endless <laughs> of study. That's exciting. You know, I've, you know, read a little bit and you hear people talk about I'm on immunotherapy and I just, it's exciting to think about the such targeted specificity of using your own body to fight off what it it wasn't fighting off. Um, and I, I would assume the goal there is uh, way less side effects, um, you know, from a chemotherapy standpoint, which is, I know you guys that are listening would go, oh my gosh, I would love to have not had my side effects from chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah. So actually, we, we that's what we're trying to do with clinical trial is to have the same outcome of no cancer with less side effects. So we include immunotherapy to the standard of care and see how fast you respond with less side effects. So there are clinical trials where taking off the chemo and putting in the immunotherapy. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, as with everything, you know, we just, we want to be able to add to the menu. I mean, so as with, as with other drugs, not everybody can do immunotherapy. So, you know, we, we want to add as many things as possible. So even if you can't do with a particular one because your cancer or your body might not respond to it, or you have something in your medical history that would, you know, pose a higher risk of side effects, um, you know, we still, we are excited about all the new options that come about. So we hope that there can be something that'll, that'll, that's up that everyone can try. Um, and, you know, Sometimes we do hear about things and then our doctor tells us, so actually we can't, but that's okay. We're just working to make more things so that there's something that, you know, you could be able to do um, and that would hopefully have those fewer side effects. Ryan, it kind of sounds like us, you know, we have the buffet, you pick and choose and the menu keeps going. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. Trials are so fascinating to me. Um I'm sure we're going to have lots of people ask, okay, well, where do I know, where do I go to learn more about clinical trials? Is there a certain uh, site that I can go to, to see what's available um, or who do they need to reach out to learn if they qualify for a clinical trial? Okay. Let's do some commercial for UT Southwestern. <laughs> yes. So we got, 
So for our people uh, in, in, in Texas, if they want to reach uh, us at Siemens Cancer Center, we do have a cancer answer line. Uh, I'll give you the phone number. Give me a second, I have it. I, I wrote it down because that, and the phone number is 469-962-1784. I repeat, it's 469-962-1784. We do also have an email. It's called cancerswerline at utsouthwestern.edu. I repeat, cancerswerline at utsouthwestern.edu. You send us an email, call us. And then if you uh, want to know about clinical research, we call, I'll contact you. One of my, my navigator will contact you later with more details. The second way you can do also at utsouthwestern.edu, there's a search for clinical trials. And then you can, depending on your cancer type, you can put and see how many clinical trials we have open here. That's my commercial for UT Southwestern. Let's say we let's go. You're not in Texas or you're um, uh, California, okay? And you want you want to understand a little bit what is abroad in the nation. So the NCI, the National Cancer Institute, has a search uh, engine. So you can add and look look it up for your cancer type, and they will show you. Uh, the clinical trials that are open in the region and expanding. Uh, you have clinicaltrial.gov that is run by the government, by the NIH, National, Inst uh, National Institute of Health. Mm -hmm. Also have a search engine where you can also search. I guess search engine search. Uh, for, and that's, for that's clinical trials, plural. Clinical trials with an S at the end, dot gov. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, so that when you pull up a list of trials, um, so let's say you search lung cancer and then you pulled up a list and maybe you search by a particular mutation, whatever's on the list, each time you click a trial, it usually includes a list of where in the nation has that trial. So, you know, if you were looking for your friend in another state or whatever, um, you can look for sort of what's closest to them and depending on what resources are available to help them get there. Um, you know, you can start thinking about that. But that website, usually there's a brief description of the trial, and sometimes they'll give you uh, a, a list of sort of the key inclusion. We were talking about the inclusion criteria before, so sometimes they'll give you a list of the key inclusion criteria. Um, you know, you know I, what, for I, listeners that are thinking, whoa, this is like, I'm not so sure I can even read my medical records. Right. How am I going to do a search on clinical trials? Is there right. um, someone they should talk to locally? So, so, so often your provider, you know, is sort of the first, you know, sometimes they might be suggesting things to you. They might, um, or they might be saying, you know, down the line, we might want to consider this, or here's something I think we could look at now. I know that sometimes when people are newly diagnosed, it's kind of when you might be looking for stuff and searching um, or sort of throughout the course of your care. So searching on your own is one thing. If you see something, you want to take it in to talk to your provider. If you want to call us directly, that's fine. Um, but often, you know, our, our clinicians really like are fighting for us and going to backwards and trying to think of different options that they have for you. So, you know, a lot of people are referred to us by their providers and that's just fine. Um, if you, your provider might tell you about a study and you want to go find more out about that study and you research it. So, you know, definitely it's a lot of information, you know, and take it at the pace that you're actually taking it in, you know, the, take it at a pace that is actually, it's not meant to be an overwhelming. Unfortunately, we do have to present a lot of information so that you're informed about, you know, what the trial involves, but the goal is to discuss, you have that information so you can discuss with the people who would help you make a decision, whether that's your family or your provider um, and, and lots of other people um, and discuss those options. And so sometimes you might look at 10 different trials and just decide that none of them are for you. That's okay. Um, we are here to provide you that information so you can make the decision that's best for you. 
I think the, you know, I, think about the iPhone 14, um, they don't have to use that iPhone 14 to Google their <laughs> final degree. There's nurse navigators like yes. the two yes. Yes. resources. And so utilize them, utilize yes. them. That's what they're there for. And, um, you know, again, that number is 467-962-1784. Um, it's actually 469-469-962-1784. You know, I, I think, Pam, what you're saying there can be summed up with something we've talked about countless times on this podcast is you guys need to be your own best advocate. And if you are, if you find something and you don't understand, but it sounds like maybe this might be a fit for you, as you, as all of our guests just said, ask, ask your nurse, ask your doctor, call the, you know, UT Southwestern. If you find it somewhere else that maybe it's not there, call that center and ask them and speak to someone in clinical trials, ask the question. Um, those people like Fabian and, and like Tony are there to help you. Um, yes, they want to enroll people in clinical trials because their job is to advance medicine and their job is to, you know, get more clinical trials going and, you know, one day work us all out of jobs. Uh, but the thing of it is, if you don't ask, no one's going to like Fabian's not going to reach out to you and go, oh, Pam, I found this clinical trial that might be good for you. That's not going to happen because uh, Fabian doesn't know you. Um, you need to reach out to folks when you see something, ask questions, find out if you um, qualify for these trials. Absolutely. Did we miss anything that we didn't cover about clinical trials? So can I answer also the question of, or what Brian is saying, piggybacking what he's saying? Just having the question of, do there's any client trial for me? Just that question opens so many doors. Second, there's community groups, Tiger Lily, Comprehensive Cancer Center. You know, there's groups for you. North Texas have prostate cancer uh, community. Goes to them and they have link to cancer centers because we work with them. We trying to approach you, but I don't know where you live. <laughs> you had to approach me. I'm here at UT Southwestern. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you guys, uh, gosh, thank you for what you do. This is a big calling. Um, I, I, I'm, I've, I've learned a lot, Pam, and, and I, I hope our listeners have as well. Like you said, it was a great day to learn. And right. um, so that brings us to our last segment. We are sponsored by the Auto Inc. family. Would you guys like to share an Auto Inc. inspiring moment with us? You want to go first? I mean, <laughs> so my story goes, we have a patient that came from um, out of country. Uh, she got uh, through the asylum coming to be the breadwinner for her family uh she left their kids and when she came here to united states that's where she found out that she had breast cancer and she didn't understand the uh the health environment she was very nervous and fortunately we were a we had a clinical trial that we could offer and with us through the navigation program and the coordinator uh, on the research we help her to navigate through the entire health healthcare system successfully she is in remission right now she uh, speaks loudly in for the hispanic community about research so i'm very happy that was we were able to help her and that she has a, a good outcome. Absolutely. So awesome. Yeah. Tell me, do you have one for us? Um, sure. Um, I mean, I feel like a lot of uh, my stories are very everyday, um, but it is those everyday moments that keep you going. Um, so I uh, had a woman who I met, and this is on one of those trials where it, enrolls people when they're first diagnosed 
Um, so cancer was new to her. She didn't know, like, she just knew she'd been sick. She'd been to several different doctors. Um, so she was referred and she lived uh, several hours away. Um, but she was transferred from a hospital several hours away to UT Southwestern. And um, they were still doing the diagnosis. But as they were doing the diagnosis, you know, there was some sense it's probably this disease. We think we have this trial. Come talk to her. Um, so, it's you know, it's always a little bit daunting to be this is like within a week of her diagnosis, you know, so she's met all these new people and had all this paperwork, you know, and um, and, you know, she was she wasn't feeling too great. Um, so, you know, sitting and talking to her that first time, you know, and she, uh, she was willing to try the study. Um, but I think even that first conversation when she had so much going on and she just not really been sick in her life, um, and looking at the journey from that to, you know, after the first couple of cycles, she was doing so much better, so much better. And, um, her family, so she had some family in town here, thankfully that she would stay with. And so getting to meet all the different parts of her family and, you know, and she was, you know, she was on for quite some time. So it's always wonderful when you, people are able to do well long enough that you get to know so much about them. Um, you know, and I would see her once a month. Um, so thankfully, like some of our studies calmed down. It was like every day for a while there and then, you know, calmed down to once a month. Um, and I feel like a lot of my, like, that's what inspires me. Um, it's about the relationships at the end of the day. It's about seeing that, you know, we could make this little difference, you know, even if sometimes that's just, you made me feel better. The call, my quality of life has improved, you know, even if I'm still on this road with cancer. Um, and I'm inspired by the patients. I'm inspired by the people we work with. I was talking to one of the other coordinators who has been working in cancer for almost 25 years. And she was talking about seeing she worked on one of us, one of the surgical trials, but seeing how that then became the standard of care when they realized they could, if they did this surgery sooner, they would be able to get, uh, get to um, kind of cut things off before it became metastasized. And it's seeing, you know, hearing stories about how the work that we do every day really can make a difference. Like that's the goal is to make that concrete difference. Um, it's seeing our nurses, you know, and our physicians and how they go to bat for patients. And sometimes it's, you know, we're going to do a fifth appeal <laughs> and they, that insurance company is going to cover that, you know, like, but I mean, I think these are the kind of things that not only motivate me every day when I, you know, if I have a report that I need to do or whatever, um, but it's about making that difference. And it's about the connections that we make along the way. And, you know, somebody was saying, you know, every time a patient says, you know, I've never seen my numbers that low with somebody who had cancer for five years, or, you know, they're able to, um, we have a patient who he would walk laps, you know, he had to be admitted for his treatment, but he walked, I mean, he was still walking like maybe two miles a day in the hospital, you know, and seeing them keep going. I mean, those are the things that were inspiring. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm really bad about, you know, you asked me like one thing, like <laughs> five things, but honestly it is those, it is sort of seeing how it's just, it, it's a part of our lives and we become a part of each other's lives. And it's that day-to-day, -day, honestly, that is the most um, inspiring for me. But it's, it's also nice to see those outcomes when things do get approved, because not everything does. Um, but we do like to see things be able to change the science. You know, oftentimes people say, well, why do you go into oncology? You know, it's sad, it's depressing, but you're right. It's because of the patients. They teach us more than we teach them sometimes. So, you know, it's the small victories that we can celebrate with them and be there. And thank you guys for doing what you do in advancing medicine. Um, we hope our listeners uh, learned as much as we did. Pam, there's no question. These two folks are passionate. They're passionate about what they do. They're passionate about where they work. They're passionate about working with folks and uh, achieving great outcomes. So uh, Fabian and Tommy, thank you guys both for, for joining us today. We, we sincerely appreciate it. I know I learned a lot and uh, I'm hoping that our listeners 
uh, could say that as well. But thank you guys for joining us. No, thank Pam. Thank you, Ryan, for reaching out to us. Um, we were super excited. I was super excited for today um, meeting with y'all uh, and reaching out your your community, your your listeners. Uh, we're super super excited, super happy that you reach out to us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for the invitation and thanks for sharing with us some of the questions that you get from patients. Cause I think that helps us also think about things a little bit differently. So this has been wonderful. Well, good. Well, Pam, I think we need to give out a, a few line, uh, the phone number and the email again for these fine folks at uh, the Simmons Comprehensive Cancer Center there at UT Southwestern Medical School. Uh, it's their cancer answer line. It's 469-962-1784, or you can email them at canceranswerline at utsouthwestern.edu. And uh, I just encourage you guys that are listening, um, if you have questions about uh, clinical trials, you know, if there's someone at your at your local center that you're being treated at that you can speak to, obviously speak to them, but reach out to these guys. Um, reach out to uh, the, the fine folks at UT Southwestern, because I think um, uh, we're all better when you're educated about whatever it is you have, whether it's strep throat or cancer, uh, the more education you have about it, um, the better off you can be informed and make those decisions. So, Pam, I, I, this, this led up to, I mean, this just topped every expectation we had about learning about clinical trials, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And remember, clinical trials are not just drug trials or surgery trials. There's also other trials out there too. So yeah. go do some Googling also, or um, contact the Cancer Answer Line too. That's right. That's right. Uh, definitely check that out. Again, be your best advocate. Reach out to your uh, your medical team and ask that question. Um, they're not going to get angry with you if you're asking a question about, is there a clinical trial? Should I be thinking about clinical trials? What, what does a clinical trial look like for me? Um, and if they don't know, then you need to find someone that does know and do your own research. Because again, be your best advocate. That's the best thing that you can do. Uh, and then share this with folks, share this information. There's so much good information here on clinical trials. It's important to just um, make sure that everyone understands uh, the ins and outs. And I think we've covered that today, right, Pam? I think we did. We certainly did. Thank you guys for listening today. Thank you for joining us and make sure you join us next time for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thanks again for listening to Beyond the Ribbon. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the Auto Inc. family of dealerships as they have supported the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center since 2016. For more information on the Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website at 24survivorship.org.